Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 59 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me for the last time this year is Ben Bumhoff. How you doing, Ben? Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Uh, you're right. This is actually the last episode of the year, uh, mainly because, well, the end of the year gets really busy for me at work, and uh, we thought, hey, you know what? With the holidays and stuff, it's a good time to take a little break. It is, and I, I may have mentioned this last time, but I'm. this is like the the back half of December, I always save for like creative recovery. So like the last two to three weeks of December. I don't do any games. I don't run any games. It's just creative recharge so that I can hit the next year fully ready to go. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Um, Just a really quick uh, uh, aside here as a kind of a follow up to our last episode. Um, And we'll get to, you know, how my sessions went and everything uh, later, as we always do. I would just like to say that uh, my creative juices are totally flowing again. And uh, I, I might have been almost slightly late to work this morning because I was thinking about uh, plotting and stuff in the shower, which is the place where I always do for some reason. Some of the best ideas have come from the shower. No yeah. question. And I got to tell you, I made something that I was uh, that I had coming up even better because of it. So I'm glad that I'm a clean person. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um no i'm very excited i'm very happy and i can't wait to hear about your story stuff because oh, yeah. both of us have holy crap i have oh, one especially is whew. We'll, we'll we'll about get it. there <laughs> we'll get there um uh today though we're going to talk about a few a few topics that we usually talk about in our last uh, show of the year. Um, and first off, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're hoping to see from D&D in 2022. Now, we know that the big revamp revision is not until 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guess is that we will start seeing uh, design mentality and mechanics and such uh, tweaks and reworks in these next two years that are, that will kind of lead up to the baseline that will be the five E revision. Um, it was kind of interesting. I was, I was seeing some Twitter topics kind of talking about, cause uh, they just released a bunch of errata for a bunch of books. Um, and they're doing a lot of alignment removing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not not assuming just base alignment or or they're just tweaking it to uh, most commonly X, Y or Z. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't expect massive mechanical overhauls for this revision that's coming up in 2024. They can't if it's going to stay backwards compatible, which they said it would. And I think they're very smart for maintaining backwards compatibility i think they will shore things up i'm hoping they will tweak their cr formula to make it easier for people to define challenge and such like that um we know they're already with the 
I think it's what is it, Mordenkainen's uh, Monsters of the Multiverse mm-hmm. uh, that's coming out next year. We already know they're going to be kind of tweaking like spell lists and stuff for monsters going forward to where they're more built into the stat block rather than stuff you have to look up. And the stuff you have to look up is going to be more supporty yes. uh, type or non-combat related versus having to go look up offensive spells. Um, so I think that's that's all super, super interesting. Um, but I think we'll see less mechanics and a lot more like lore tweaks. Yeah. I think um, we'll we'll see that that type of stuff. Um, so from 2022 wise. I don't know, I think I think it's interesting. We've had some really strong books this year. I think we've had some really good adventures. We had and I think uh, honestly, I'd have to go back and listen to it. I think we did pretty well. Yeah, we got some guessing. of our we got some of our things because the two big ones that I remember is the new uh, Dragonomicon, which we got that in Fizzbands. Yeah, essentially Fizzbands. Yeah. yeah, and then we wanted a Feywild uh, source book, which we I mean we didn't get that, but we kind of got a little bit of that. So we did pretty good. Yeah, we did. Um, I feel like next year there's probably they seem to be moving towards like a more planar type thing mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. coming out they've got that gift set coming out which is basically tasha's xanathar's and then the kind of um redone monster manual almost with morton Kanan's uh monsters of the multiverse and so i wouldn't be surprised if we see more planar type books and i'm not the biggest D lore person ever so i don't know all of the various things i know yeah. Spelljammer is a very popular very big one that people want to see brought back uh lots of ships <laughs> which would be kind of cool get some new rules and uh stuff for those and so i think we'll see some adventures based in there and potentially some source books based in there and then almost always it seems usually at least once a year we get a new rules type manual yeah, that will introduce another supplement exactly new subclasses new magic items new monsters uh that sort of thing so i assume we'll probably get one of those as well uh, we know for sure we have the critical role adventure mm-hmm. coming out that's coming out in march um so we know at least two of the books that are coming out next year already uh <clears throat> what do you think ben what do you think they've they've got on the well on the docket as you said, with the the multiverse uh, or the monsters of the multiverse, like if they are kind of looking at, you know, different planes and, and everything, I think that maybe we're actually going to potentially get uh, a high level campaign because, you know, a, a lot. I, I mean, I'm not saying that you can't have a level one party going into, um, I don't know, the abyss or something. I mean, you definitely can. It's not really designed exactly for that, but um, having a, a higher level group or adventure, you know, say even maybe 10 to 20, 15 to 20, something like that would be really interesting. And I would love to see something like that come out, um, especially since there's so little, you know, actual material for higher level play. Um, it, okay, so stepping away from the planar stuff, something that I would love to see, especially if they're kind of changing, you know, the philosophy behind, uh, as you said, like the... Um, uh, alignment and stuff like that. Like I would love to see an underdark source book. 
Like, I I love the Underdark. I think it's absolutely amazing. I'm hoping I can get my players to go there soon. We'll see. Uh, But I love the idea, like, uh, of, you know, Menzo Berenson, which I know I'm totally destroyed that name. Doesn't matter. Um, You know, like Dark Elf Society, like, I would love to see them take Dark Elf Society and translate that into the kind of the non-alignment specific stuff and really rework that whole area and think about it and uh, different ways that's you know changes could be put forth there on top of that interestingly in the errata they just released there was a chunk on dark elves oh and drow that they did change from more of the evil to um not all of them not all of them are spider queen evil type yeah type thing yeah. so who knows maybe that's a prelude to something it's kind of what i'm hoping i mean and the, the thing is, is that the underdark is so full of like it's such a rich environment of flora and fauna as well as different races that are down there that i'm really excited of the the thought of them revisiting that and doing something along with that I mean, way back when, when I first read the uh, the the prequel Drist books, where you know it's his whole origin story, and he goes through the Underdark before he finally comes out to the surface, like that whole area captured my imagination so much that I would love to see you know a a, a fifth edition source book that holds all that. So that that's the big one that I'm really hoping for. Yeah, I think that would be that would be great, and I wanted to kind of piggyback off what you said earlier, I would love to see a legit wizard's high level adventure. Oh, like we have, we have dungeon of the mad mage right now, but it's, it's just, it's a big mega dungeon and it's not super connected. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to see them do a legitimate, like full on story adventure from like, 10 to 20 or 12 to 20 or you know something like that i want to see a showcase an official showcase of high level play yeah and the things the things they can do with it to where people can point to it and go that's a great example if you're wanting to learn about or do high level play and then maybe that you know just springs up interest in more high level content because high level play is super cool. And so if you have an adventure that takes the harder parts of that high level play planning away and does it for the DM that potentially will help people get more comfortable or help people to or incentivize them to run it mm-hmm. without, you know, having to, worry about oh no what am i gonna do how am i gonna balance things blah 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 um so yeah no i think i think that would be good and i i don't remember if i was talking with you or someone else about it but um D is at a point it's been growing year over year for many years yeah at this point um and D is large enough that they don't necessarily have to worry about the books they make and what I mean by that is it's large enough that they don't need the entire audience or even half the audience or even a quarter of the audience to buy a book for it to be profitable now. 
And with that comes a lot of flexibility because then they can go ahead and make more niche books and make them more interesting or make them uh, unique because they know they don't have to sell it to the entire audience. Take like Strixhaven, mm-hmm. which just came out. Magical School. It is a very popular, very cool fantasy. Not everybody's about that life, and that's fine. But they are at a point where they're big enough to where they can put a book like that out. It'll probably sell reasonably well, and they can make a profit off of it. But they don't have to cater it to the full D&D audience. Exactly. And the, the idea of being able to do that really lets them, you know, run wild with their imagination, which, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, Ryan, but I would think that people who write those books and uh, adventures and come up with different stories and everything, they're probably a little creative, um, you know, just, just a touch. So being able to kind of like, you know, just go free with that imagination really makes me excited for some of the stuff that could come you know the, the popularity of, of D has just opened up those doorways so you know who knows chris perkins might have this this wild hair in his butt about i want to create a brand new world that no one's ever seen before that is populated by candy people or something i don't know you know and then all of a sudden we have our candy yeah, some, book. some brand new content or some brand new lore or areas or worlds that are introduced in 5e. Mm-hmm. That would be something that I would love to see happen. Because, I mean, seriously, the, the people who work there are just incredibly talented with what they do from so many different facets. And, I mean, just with speaking with Amy, um, it, you know, having her work on some of the stuff and being able to just really kind of go at it and, and throw her idea out in there and, you know having a couple crazy gnomes who make a rocket ship to go into space as an adventure. That is pretty darn cool. And just kind of very different than the normal kind of like high fantasy that people expect with Dungeons and Dragons. So having more unique adventures or, you know, eccentric uh, storylines and stuff like that just really gets me excited for the, the potential of what could happen. Yeah. And I think that that brings up a good point too. I would not be surprised if we saw another anthology type book oh, come out because Candlekeep seems to have done fairly well. Um, and it was a great grab bag almost mm-hmm. of different things. Like we can, I can take this chunk of the book and I can throw it in my world and run it as a, a side story or as part of my main quest or like we did on plus five, we can use it as an interlude during our main campaign and run it for five sessions. Yeah, it worked out really well. And another uh, game that I'm in, we're, uh, you know, we've had a lot of challenging uh, times of actually getting scheduled together and playing it. But, you know, we're going through one of those stories and we're just about finished. We uh, ended up killing some hags, which was pretty great. It was a a real fun time. And got to say, sometimes having a rope is the best tool you can possibly have. Tell you. Sometimes rope. Yeah, sometimes rope. Very useful. Very useful. Um, One other thing that I would really like to see. I would like to see Wizards experiment with and release more full classes. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't... I, 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 I think they should not be too afraid to maybe throw out a full new class once a year or once every two years. Yeah. 
That'd be nice. Like, we haven't had anything new since the Artificer. And as many people are showing us, and we'll actually talk a little bit about one of these later, there is tons of room still for full-on standalone classes, mm-hmm. not subclasses for one of the existing types. And so I think, especially for the 2024 release, but you know, even before then, I would love to see them put out some new classes exactly. that cover, like, we keep, uh, I know they, uh, older versions have had it, like uh, something with psionics. Like mm-hmm. a, a full-on psionics class. They've done some subclasses for it, but there's still a ton of game space, creative space, that a, you could do a full-on psionics-type class uh, that had their own you know, pool of abilities and stuff like that that you didn't even need to draw from spells or anything recently that could be fully contained in a single subclass. Yeah, you know, and and something along those lines, I think, would be a a great addition to what we have already, because, you know, we have quite a few classes to choose from, but and the subclasses really differentiate them amongst themselves a whole bunch. But sometimes I wonder, are are they just trying to fit in a playstyle into a class as a subclass, as opposed to really taking something and turning it into a brand new class that can have its own different bits like um i want to say it's either probably in in maybe the fighter where like samurai is in there like broken out that could be its own class you know i can give it like the sense of honor there's um you know a subclass where it could be a ronin um you know or or an assassin in that sense or, or something along those lines like like don't get me wrong i love the subclasses i love the fact that you know, they're there and it does give us a, yeah. all that flexibility. There's a lot of space in the subclasses, yeah, for sure. Exactly. But, like, full-on classes are actually really cool. And, you know, I would love to see more. I think you're you're right. It'd be great to have at least one or two more. And a Scion is one of the, the first things that I think that they would jump at because it is missing. Yeah, for sure. Um, Trying to think. Is there anything else you can think of that you really really want i mean i'd still say an actual Feywild source book yeah I, you know like what the adventure was awesome i'll double down on that with source you. book <laughs> yes i would i would still be completely okay with a full-on source book. yeah um you know what just a, a complete elemental plane source book like that would be cool yeah, touch all the different that would elemental be cool. planes like yeah yeah fire water earth and air planes mm-hmm. you could totally do a source book yeah, especially about on, on like yeah, on the quad of those. Uh, <laughs> sorry, oh, it's just the perfect timing on that. Had bad as my it. wife is with those. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, like you could do you could do a whole source book on the elemental planes. Uh, you could do a whole source book on um, the nine hells mm-hmm. and all the layers. That oh, would yeah. be a super interesting source book. Add in some, add in a bunch of new devils. Add in like infernal contract type type oh, stuff man. to play around Can with. Add like stuff a, about each layer. Yeah, a, an infernal contract template that could be really fun. Yeah, and shout out to Justice who was on here. Uh, one of our earlier episodes, he actually has a DM's Guild supplement 
for Infernal Contracts mm-hmm. if you're looking for something now. Uh, we'll try and find a link to that and have it in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, no, like I think something on the nine hells could be really interesting because you could have stat blocks for each of the devils that, you know, basically reigns over each layer. You could have a whole big thing on the city of Dis. Um, all the, you know, all the different layers, new items, a bunch of new monster devil monsters. That would be, that'd be perfect. And you could do honestly the same type of thing with the abyss. Yeah. Or, or the heavens. Or the heavens. That's something that you don't see very often, honestly. Like Celestia and like all these, like the, I think it's like the seven, seven planes of Celestia or something like yeah. that. I may be completely wrong. Because again, because there's no source I'm book. Not, that's why we're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, something, something on the celestial planes could be super cool. Give us like all the, again, it's planar stuff. So who knows? But yeah, give us all these supplementary things because I know a lot of people when they do homebrew worlds, their material plane is their own, Mm -hmm. but they keep most of the like outer planes or supplementary planes like the elemental planes or the the hells or the abyss or uh, celestial planes, you know, whatever. They usually keep a lot of those types of supplementary ones i don't i at least i don't see a ton of people who have made custom worlds make fully custom planes yeah and so more source books on that would be great because then i could pull that type of stuff into my world as well yeah the the seven heavens of mount celestia so you were right i was close yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. like elysium uh Uh uh-huh the beastlands uh arbor aborea isgard like just really cool stuff that would be amazing to go out there because you know there's a lot of adventuring that happens in demonic places and and uh you know with devils and fiends and everything but you know i'd love to see adventuring in the higher outer planes because that happens there yeah yeah well and not only that celestials in general are one of the probably most lacking creature groups Mm -hmm. for official official stat block wise in 5e and so a supplement, a celestial type supplement could be very, could, could fill a, a niche that uh, is just not being catered to right now. Yeah, exactly. Because there really isn't a lot. I, I, for reasons I have looked before, not saying that they're current reasons. So players in same, my group, same. don't worry about that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's again, it's just one of those things. It's like, there's, there's really not a lot. And even then, most of it is like kind of at least like level 10 and higher, too. Yeah, no, I I really like I really like that idea. Yeah. So Yeah. More more of those types. I would definitely I would definitely pick those up. Yeah. Sure. In a heartbeat. Um, anything else you can think of before we jump to our, our next topic? Uh, not off the top of my head. I mean, I'm, look. I think we covered quite a bit. Honestly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, anything else, of course, you know, we need to save it for 2023. Yeah, we got to have something to exactly talk if, about. If everything we want just happens to come out next year. Well, <laughs> your end episode next year is going to be like, well, all this neat stuff happened. OK, we're good. Yeah, we all, all of our <laughs> hopes and dreams have been fulfilled. Exactly. We, we I mean, we said so much. We're bound to be somewhat correct. Yeah. 
and our <laughs> 2023 wrap-up show. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, we'll uh, jump into our next topic, and this is kind of a little more introspective of a topic um, because this is a little more instead of D and D as a whole, us personally. This is kind of a what did we learn this year, and what are the things we want to integrate into our games going forward? Yeah. So Ben, what 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 have you been thinking about? What have you been learning um, and integrating? Well, I've been learning that as much as I'd like to try, I still suck at balancing. And, you know, I'm I'm going through, I do what I can. I think that I'm a little overwhelming. And every single time I'm surprised at, you know, either lucky rolls or how resourceful my players are. And, you know, I've said it before, I'm happy when they figure stuff out and think of some awesome tricks to pull. And I'm happy by that. Doesn't mean that, you know, I can't throw more at them because uh, the the big thing is, is like, look, I've got uh, some would say maybe like a very healer heavy group because, you know, I have a cleric and a paladin in my party, so they should be able to take damage. Except it's really hard when they're also both wearing heavy armor and shields and the, their AC is super high. Um, but even more so, though, it's it's the whole idea that. I'm not putting them in enough danger. And even if I throw them, you know, up against things that'll hit them a couple times, they're still taking them out too fast. So I really need to work on balancing. And uh, part of that is that uh, we started doing something on the show, Monster Fixer, and I need to start doing that more with my own combats. So that, that, I mean, that's the first, the first thing that I'm, I need to do. I know. Definitely. And gotcha. I'm looking forward to that. In fact, um, as I kind of told you before already, I've uh, a future idea of mine. I've already upgraded it into something way harder than what originally it was going to be. And um, I think it's the right decision. I really do. So I'm, I'm looking I, forward to I, when that happens. I have learned over my years of DMing that player characters can handle a lot more than you initially assume. Mm-hmm. They can, um, especially if it's a single fight a day type scenario. Yeah. Uh, when they're when they're fully ready to go, because um, there there are definitely times when I have multiple fights in a day. There's not a ton of times that you won't have the opportunity to, at the very least, short rest. And depending on your party makeup. Uh, a short rest may be all most of them need <laughs> to kind of get back to mostly full fighting shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's again, partially learning your party, uh, but partially, especially if you're running an adventure for the most part, especially once you get past level like three or so, knowing that you can probably throw an extra X, Y, or Z in, and the party will be able to handle it. Yeah. It's exactly. more just how deadly do you want to make it? And I think I feel like one of the one of my strengths as a DM is in counterbalance. Um because I do a lot of homebrew stuff myself. Um and so I think it, it's also one of those things you have to you have to balance because you don't want every fight 
to be super easy. Mm -hmm. But you don't want every fight to be super deadly. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no letting up on the gas. Because if you do that too much, it's like, all right, time to spend everything. And, you know, it's a knockout, you know, full on fight every single time to a two to three hour combat type thing. Uh, So you don't want that either. So you have to find find the balance somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be some fights that are going to be easy. You want to allow your players to show their power off sometimes. Exactly. It's, it's not a bad thing. Um, you want to it's it's good to have some that are kind of mid ground where there's an insanely small chance of them actually dying or something like that. Um, it may be like an intro to something. It may just be the first way you show a a faction or something like that. And then there's going to be the, you know, I guess you could say mini boss or boss fights that you want to have the potential for death. Mm -hmm. It's there. And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of that. And I, I still um, struggle with that sometimes. Uh, especially the higher level you go, yes. Again, the more complex, the more difficult it gets because the players again begin to have a lot more tools to handle things, even things like death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the big things too is that really try to stay on top of you know some of some of your uh, characters' classes and stuff because. You know, especially with uh, casters, once they get into some higher spell slots, they can seriously just end a uh, an encounter just on a single turn. Especially, you know, if you're grouped in a certain way or, um, you know, if you don't account for a potential of, you know, a massive amount of, of uh, HP in one hit or something along those lines. So, yeah, it, it really comes down to paying attention, balancing and tweaking um if anything i maybe need to tweak more on the fly than what i have um i I really try to you know stick true with with roles and and everything like that um what am i saying stick true with roles i always yeah i don't fudge my roles but like for health wise and stuff like that for you know Uh a role of this much okay they really only have this much health crap you know like by going off of what's the guide so again tweaking everything on the fly beforehand and prepping it and stuff. And as much as I love the combat uh, encounter generator and stuff that uh, D and D beyond has don't trust that gauge. And that's my nope. biggest downfall is nope. okay. Well, it says it's deadly. So we'll put one more thing in here and then it'll be okay. Yeah. And basically everything enough. I run uh, via the D and D beyond encounter for any campaign I run shows deadly. Yeah, even an easy fight, it should show deadly. <laughs> I've yeah. fa- I found that and, out. <laughs> yeah, and my deadly fights range from easy to actually deadly, but usually they'll all show up as de- yeah, <laughs> as deadly exactly. from a from an XP perspective or whatever you know their their background formula is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, and one of the things too um, that I I think I've improved on this year a lot and I want to continue improving on going forward is when you're running encounters and such, don't save the monsters big stuff at all. Just use it. Exactly. Right away. Like you've got 
and in normal combat you have two to four rounds use their stuff mm-hmm. use all the stuff this is one of the reasons and i again and i highly recommend everyone watch um matt coville's running the game on um uh it's basically on um more encounter focused enemies i forget the actual name of it but essentially uh a lot of the stuff and you see it in some of their supplements have things called uh villain actions that they have two or three of these and they they do them like every round or every other round and they're things that dynamically change up the fight uh and they make combat more interesting and so having more things like that or running more monsters like that can make every combat encounter you run unique yeah and something that people can remember and talk about instead of here's a big bag of hit points claw claw bite tail whip yeah exactly and so more of that and we're starting to see i think a little more of that from the official ones Mm -hmm. i hope we continue to see a lot more uh dynamic type monsters uh especially as this you know monsters of the multiverse comes out i'm really interested to see what their new design philosophy looks like uh so i'm hoping we will get more of that type oh yeah same here it would be one of those uh just things that help everybody out. And especially if, if they're doing with a, you know, higher level of play in any of those books, they'll be balancing for that. I think uh, even more so. Yeah, that is, that is certainly the hope. Yeah. And we need some more official support for that. Like they have a lot of really cool high level stuff that you just don't get to use that much. Exactly. Uh, what about you? What's one of the things that uh, you're going to be incorporating or changing or upgrading or updating or however you want to do it? Like, what have you learned? Well, combat, you know, is one one half. And then story mm-hmm. is 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 the other half. Um, and if you smush them together and you can get the balance right, it's an incredible package. Uh, so one of the things that I've been trying to work on doing and I will continue to work on doing is more character backstory integration into the campaign. Yeah. Uh, Making sure that I'm always going back every several sessions or so and checking, okay, is there a way I can integrate this person's, any of this person's backstory in or a way I can further it or something like that. Um, And I think I've been doing at least a, a decent job of that in in my campaigns this year, but it's, it's something I want to do more because the more you're able to connect your players to the world that you've created, the better of an experience it's going to be all around. And you always have to be careful. You don't want to lean so heavily on it that one player's story just completely takes over. Um, you might have that for a time, And I don't think most people mind that at all, especially, but you don't want to do that until everyone has buy-in, right? You don't want Mm -hmm. to lean super heavy into someone's personal story early on in a campaign when the other two or three or four members of the party just don't care that much about the person. Once you start getting into, you know, the the end of the first part, you know, into the second part, if you're talking, you know, three arc type 
campaign or whatever. And not all of them are like that, but you know what I mean? Um, first end of the first third or something like that. When the characters have been together for a while and they've bonded and they actually have started caring about each other more so than just whatever the initial piece was, then you can really start introducing those backstory elements that might pull the whole group in a, in a certain direction. Yeah. No, and that's one of the challenges uh, that I've definitely seen uh, in my own campaign is because, you know, we started off as a one shot. So the backstories didn't really play in at all, but because we've been playing through and, and uh, you know, working with this, uh, we've actually been able to, you know, really do a lot of character building and bring some of that into the game, which is something that I absolutely love um, to the point where we're soon here in a couple of weeks game time. We're going to be having this trade summit where my cleric's father, who's kind of estranged, is going to be there at this trade summit and bringing in family that way and there there's uh you know other things that may or may not pop up and you know bringing things to the forefront where they can really kind of explore their characters and stuff is something that i've been kind of working my way towards and i mean without starting a campaign knowing backstories and stuff it's a little bit harder but i i, really... I, I have the same thing my yeah. my campaign my first campaign now since my actual first campaign ended after you know three years mm -hmm. a, a little while ago um that's uh, the second campaign that i've i've run uh it started as a one shot too and so uh i'll talk about it in a little bit but i think mo most everyone did a really good job of crafting in backstories that then i can use uh one player's character was just kind of a little more generic and so didn't have a super detailed super big backstory so they're actually switching characters oh um uh they're kind of retiring one and left off at a really good spot and they're actually um going to bring in one that does have a much more interesting much more developed backstory so it is totally possible to do but mm -hmm. It's always better <laughs> if you can start off knowing that you're going to have a consistent game. Exactly. And because we went through our whole first arc without really doing anything along those lines, um, mainly because one of my players said, hey, uh, go ahead and do my backstory with this character. Like the first arc kind of dealt a really heavily with him. And then he got tired of playing that character. <laughs> So we just kept going with that story because, you know, it's kind of what I had. And there was a lot of stuff that could have been revealed and everything with that. Um, but because they've been able to adventure together and everything going into the second arc, that's when I can make it more personal. Like you said, because this group has spent time together. They they care about each other and the characters actually care about the other characters. So I'm able to start making things a little bit more personal where everybody's going to be involved with it. So I'm I'm really excited for some of the stuff that's coming because of that. And I mean, you nailed it. It's really the 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 right way to do it to make them feel like there's so much more uh, a part of this world because of that. Oh, for sure. And I think well, one of the things I definitely did this this year too some is collaborative world building. And it's something I want to mm -hmm. continue going forward because my homebrew continent is in many ways, a blank slate. 
Um, I have one continent that is pretty built out. Uh, two of my campaigns have taken place on it, which so that makes sense. I have yeah. one continent that's kind of built out, one that is in the process of being built out, and one that has vague ideas. And then I have several others that are just blank slates. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I'm very excited about as uh, I move forward and through the years is fully building this world out and with hopefully the help of my players, especially if I start a campaign on a brand new continent. Uh, I might have this high level overview and then be like, okay, as you're doing character creation, what town would they be from? You know, what, what would this place be? Um, what kind of culture is there? You know, that's that sort of thing. And so that's, that's one thing that I have been doing and I'm very excited to continue to do uh, with this kind of collaborative world building and then being able to, and one of the funnest things of having a homebrew type world is that you can keep it going mm -hmm. and it changes. And in a few campaigns from now, uh, XYZ spot might look a lot different than it did when I started with the first campaign years ago. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. we've already got that some, like one, my one group is going to the city of Erangel and the city of Erangel was basically leveled in my first campaign. And so they're going to be seeing some of the aftermath of that. They had zero to do with it, but it happened in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's going to take a long time from a world perspective to rebuild this entire city that went through this huge traumatic event. And so they are going to actually get to play in some of the consequences of that, which is super cool. And so making sure that you do those types of things can really add a lot to your world's history and just the, the general feel and immersion. Yeah. Especially if you have players that play multiple campaigns in your world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, one other thing that I started doing that I'm going to be incorporating more just because I, I'm finally, acknowledging my limitations whereas i only have a certain amount of money that i can spend on miniatures so <laughs> i'm gonna be um doing a mix of you know how i have the uh the, the three-dimensional miniatures and the maps and, and everything that i kind of mm -hmm. work out uh mixed with uh digital basically because i can't own every single figure that i want i can't own every single bit of architecture that i want and i don't have a 3d printer so that's pretty much what I'm stuck with. Um, so it, it something that we used with uh, uh, Plus Five, which worked really well, was uh, Albear.rodeo. And I've, I've started using that. And I got to say, that thing is super stupid simple to work uh, to the point where I made a, a token for a lion on the fly. Uh, it took me about maybe a minute and a half and a minute of that was finding the right picture of a lion to do, which you have to find the right picture of Mufasa in order to make a good token for it. So <laughs> went with that, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I realized that 
I have something coming up. Um, should my players go there, which uh, they've kind of agreed already to go investigate the this uh, um, these dwarven ruins. But the thing is, I know I cannot actually create that well in a 3D space for the size that I want it to be. So that means, yeah, got to go digital with it. So oh, yeah. we're going to be going that way. And it's a different kind of play. I like having miniatures and moving them around and everything. But you know what? I understand what my actual limitations are and going that way. And it, it it's worked out really well so far with uh, the last um, couple sessions that I've had. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, that's that's great. I kind of had the opposite problem. I because I I don't have in-person games back yet. And I I really miss them a lot because I do love miniature work and 3D printing. <laughs> I mean, and stuff like that. I love it. I really do. But I mean, I, we've never played in person because, you know, there are people out of state, so Yeah. Yeah, that makes it that makes it harder. Um, I think that is certainly one of the things I learned uh, very well, not just this year, but the last two years is like really clamping down on my digital tool sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use Foundry for my virtual tabletop that lets me do everything custom. Uh, it was just a single, a single price buy. You get it. Uh, I run it on my computer and then I can just basically point people to it it's got all the tools i need i can custom put pretty much anything i want into it and then it's basically comes down to either making incarnate maps myself or finding uh other digital maps that can kind of uh doppelganger (laughs) to what i what i think i need or a fair approximation to what i'm seeing in my head exactly and so I've started to lean more on those types of things. And instead of, you know, necessarily buying more physical things, potentially getting packs of digital maps and stuff like that. Although hopefully I'll eventually be able to do in-person stuff again. Uh, I feel like I've got a pretty decent setup now to make digital games as fully featured as they can be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. And so, and one of my groups is, um, is not local. And so I have to for that. But now, but because of all this, I am set up for that to run a fairly high quality game, uh, for something that can't be in person. So that's, it kind of feeds, feeds both of those things, but that's, that's definitely, I've definitely improved upon my digital set in the, over the last year for sure yeah that's good i mean overall you use what tool works best for you and even if it's not the your favorite one which is in person and three-dimensional and just really cool looking uh you go with what fits and what works and again the whole point is, is everybody has fun yeah for sure and that's <laughs> And that's the that is the biggest shortcoming of the of the tabletop stuff or the virtual tabletop stuff is whenever you want to add three dimensionality to fights. Yeah. Or just in, encounters, whether they be combat or non-combat. Uh, it That's the only thing I've found to be fairly hard. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, well, anything else before we. uh jump into our community section 
Oh, I think, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I think the biggest things for me, you know, story, just continuing to try and work in what the players have to the things that I have planned and then let those intertwine as they may. And if they go off in different directions that, you know, you don't plan on, then be flexible. Yeah, exactly. And we remember it's okay to have end goals in mind. It's all okay to have arcs in mind and story points in mind, but always be flexible with them because you don't want to shoehorn your party into it. If the story takes another direction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We'll talk about how stories are taking another direction when we come back to uh, our own games. Oh my gosh. Apparently we need to get there. So let's, uh, (laughs) before we get there, let's quick talk uh, about some community content stuff. Uh, First being D and D beyond has finally upgraded their uh, encounter slash combat tracker to beta. Yes. And it is in one tool now just called encounters. And the cool thing about this is that one, uh, you don't have to be a subscriber anymore to use it. Uh, free users can now take advantage of it and can make up to six encounters at a time. And you can delete them and, and make more. Uh, so that is super cool. They've also added real-time tracking. And that was the big thing that was missing. So this is huge because now I can see my player's AC. I can see their health in real time. I can see a few of their uh, baseline stats that are usually relevant to have. And so now it is much easier to keep track of how much you're actually hurting your players. Oh, this is great too. <laughs> it's so nice. Like the, the real time tracking piece is, is the biggest, like that is a, they finally have it integrated and that is a huge deal for uh, when you're running combat or social encounters that require initiative or help. <laughs> and so having it all in one spot is, is really nice. Exactly. And I mean, the health is a big thing, like a really big thing because uh, it's not that, Hey, if a player character is looking really rough and I know that they have three hit points left, I'm not going to have the dude attacking him just suddenly turn tail and go attack someone else. It's so that I know how to, you know, appropriately handle something if, you know, they fall or if something happens um, that that is great. The the passive perception showing up is fantastic. Like, I'm so happy that we have that on there, too. Uh, and the AC as well. It, it just helps you know if you hit automatically or not, as opposed to just does uh, this work? Does this hit you? So. Yeah, it, it can save. It'll save some time. Exactly. I'm, I'm super stoked about this. I can't wait to use it, which I wish was this weekend now, but uh, I've got other plans. So yeah, Yeah. that's, that's good. It's, it's there now going forward. So if you're D and D beyond user or DM, check that out. Yeah. Uh, secondly, speaking of new classes, uh, we have another, what I think is very much a winner. Um, from MCDM Productions, uh, they did the Ill Rigger completely custom class, and they just released uh, a brand new one called the Beast Heart and Monstrous Companion. So it's almost like a, a two for one type thing. Uh, they basically said, 
what would it look like if a Beastmaster Ranger was fun and interesting? <laughs> and then they made, instead of making a Ranger subclass, they just made an entirely new class out of it. And again, like everything they do, it is extremely high quality. It's like a 48, 50 page PDF, full color, tons of custom art and everything for it. It essentially introduces rules for if your players want or find an animal companion. And it's super, super nice because uh, I'd say that's probably more of a common thing uh, than <laughs> even I would expect uh, people just, you know, adopting or finding uh, these companions. But there's not a whole lot of official rules for how to run a companion. Uh, so this is basically... Uh, gives you a set of rules for if your party uh, or a player has adopted or has some sort of animal companion. And he, it comes with 15 different ones, but uh, it has suggestions and kind of some guidelines for taking uh, current stuff and making them more of a companion type thing. Uh, and then, of course, it also comes with the Beast Heart class, which kind of takes that to the next level and synergizes. I believe it's got like five subclasses uh, for for it as well uh, and uses those companion rules in a very integrated fashion to where you have this very synergistic uh, player and companion creature. And like I said, there's like 15 different companions. There's some new magic items as well uh, that kind of are a little more tailored to the class itself. So if that sounds fun, or if you like the ill rigor, or if you're looking for more, especially high quality, full on custom class, uh, definitely check that out. It's up on the MCDM store now for 15 bucks. Very cool. Yeah. There's a lot of neat stuff in there. I, I really like, you know, having the companion animal because I'm a big fan of pets. It's one of those things. It's one of the reasons why I almost took a ranger with a pet for many games that I played in, but it never looked like actual fun. This actually does. Yeah, I actually got to play test it a little bit when they were doing play tests and I had a blast. It was really good. Very, like I said, very high quality. They test all their stuff extensively, uh, so it should be fairly balanced as well. So oh, good. check that out if it sounds interesting. Uh, and then Ben, you had something as well before. Yeah, we just to do our uh, final segment. I'm I'm pretty sure I haven't mentioned this before, but um, you know, one of those fun things about uh, the internet is that uh, people make videos about stuff. Well, uh, I think I've talked about maybe a channel or two before about uh, people reading like RPG horror stories and stuff, just to kind of help you realize that sometimes no D and D is better than bad D and D. Well, this is something entirely different. This is actually a channel called All Things D&D, and it is basically a storytelling channel. Um, it has someone who reads off stories that um, I don't know if they find it on Reddit, if someone submits it or what, but it's basically stories from different people's campaigns. And some of them are just absolutely amazing. Some of them actually have made me tear up because they've been so good. Um, there's a couple stories about, uh, like a dad, uh, introducing his daughter to D and D who's, you know, very young. And, uh, like the first encounter that she has is with a goblin who turns out all he was trying to do is like 
stop this fungus that was growing in a forest and she ends up like befriending him but at first she didn't because he was ugly and you know kind of teaches her a lesson and then there's a, a little ongoing arc with her um there's this is because of this channel that's where i found out about the false hydra from the first time and some of those stories are pretty amazing um as well i, I just i like it there's some really cool stuff in there um gosh what's the there's a a necromancer named like Ashogan or something like that, that there is a fantastic set of stories about this, this character um, and like the things that they thought of and, and all that stuff. And yeah, I, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. We'll have a link in, on the website, of course, but uh, look up all things D and D on YouTube, just one full word. That's the, their channel name. I, I really recommend it. There's some good storytelling in there. Awesome. I had not heard of that one before, so I will definitely check that one out. Cool. Cool. Well, I hope you like it. Ashoshan? Shoot, I don't remember what that that necromancer's (laughs) name is, but that's some of the best storytelling that I've ever heard. So it's it's good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. I'll definitely check that out. And speaking of storytelling, we have finally some stories of our own to tell. I know we're actually really excited about it because both of us have wrapped up our D&D campaigns for the year. Uh, so, Ben, I know last time we talked, we were talking a little about imposter syndrome and, you know, feeling feeling nervous and whatnot. You have run two sessions since then. Yes. So, how'd it go? Well, um, I felt really good starting the, the first session. Um you know, I, I prepped for it and done some stuff and we jumped in, started playing and everybody was just having a grand old time. And immediately it, was, it just kicked back in of, oh, yeah, I could do this. We're fine. And uh, it, it worked out really well. So if you remember, I mean, it's been forever because of the move and stuff since, you know, I've been able to report on what's actually happened in game. But um, they were basically uh, uh, just finished the um, finding out that there's vampires in the town. They have an idea of where the main vampire might be. So they had planned to go to that house the next day. So daybreak happens. They head over there, knock on the door, go in. The places, you know, all the drapes are, are, are pulled and everything. The butler lets them in to talk to this guy who he was originally a, everybody thought he was a kidnapped vid victim, but he came back a day or two later with his grandpa in tow, who, you know, his long lost grandpa, who he'd never seen before. And uh, so the group is in there, you know, trying to ask him questions. My cleric and my paladin are inside the library with him. Meanwhile, the uh, bard and the sorcerer are standing kind of by the door. And they both kind of look out and they see this this very well-dressed gentleman on the stairs. And that's the head vampire right there, Cassius. He ends up charming my sorcerer. And so he kind of walks down and, you know... There's the whole, like, what's the meaning of this? What are you doing? Um, and the, the whole story in, that's been going around in town is that they haven't left the house because the grandfather is is ill. He can't come out. Um, but then the, the dude who, uh, Radomir, the guy who they were interrogating, he said, oh, yeah, my uncle came to town. So, you know, different information right there. So they're like, hmm, something's going on. And the thing is, is... Cassius, the head vampire, said, you know, I want you to leave. So immediately the sorcerer is like, yeah, guys, let's get out of here. You know, we're bugging them, you know, just totally doing everything that they can to do what the vampire lord wants. 
And so they, they end up leaving and they're talking and stuff. And, you know, they're like, you know, in inciting her or him to, to see what's going on. And they're like, yeah, something's really weird. They totally changed their tone. What's going on with this? So then the paladin did uh, protection from good and evil. So I'm like, okay, we'll go ahead and roll another, uh, you know, uh, saving, saving throw on this. And then immediately the charm war broke. And then he's all, that guy is an a-hole. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> so then they figured out, it's like, okay, he's definitely, you know, what's going on. So, um, at this point they had left already, uh, but they, they had, before they left, they did mention that they had killed some vampires the night before and they're, you know, investigating these disappearances. So they totally laid all the cards on the table. The cleric even said, this is where we're staying. If you have any more information. So I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be great. I can't wait until this happens. You know, like at first I thought, of course the combat was going to go down in the house right then, right there completely changed the story on that. So I'm like, okay, they left immediately. They're prepping for an attack. Let's see how long, you know, how, how much time passes. And if night comes, they're going to the hotel. So we're going to, we're going to see how this plays out. So they end up going to uh, the library and, you know, doing a whole bunch of research on, on, on what they can find. Uh, Cleric rolls really well. Uh, my sorcerer rolls horribly. So she got the, the fiction section where the cleric got the nonfiction section. Fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> they got a smattering of information. Um, uh, the fiction section had things like, um, you know, oh, they, you know, they have an aversion to garlic. Um, some types of vampires are sparkly, you know, things like that. Uh, whereas the cleric got like the, I basically read them stats from the monster block because it's like, yeah, you know all this stuff. You rolled so well that this is how you actually kill it. This is how, you know, this happens. So, And ironically, like, it works just story-wise perfectly that a cleric would probably know this. Yeah, it worked out really well. By the way, um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, but it's a cleric of, of light. That's their domain. They chose the light domain. Should have thought about that when I created vampires. Anyways, so... <laughs> They, they head back to the hotel. They end up having lunch and they're discussing everything, you know, the stuff that they learned and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, at this point, like two, three hours had gone by since they left the house. And then so they said, OK, we're they decided that they're going to go ahead and go back. The sorcerer has a ring of spell storing. So they had the cleric cast sunlight into that. And also a healing spell just smart, know, to have smart. it smart. Yeah. So they had basically the ability to at least have two sunlights go off, you know, one from the ring, one from the cleric themselves. So they get up, they leave and like, okay, we're going to go. And then that's where we ended the session because I'm like, okay, we're, I've got, I mean, it was late already, but I'm like, we got, I got stuff. I got to plan out. We're doing this. So I started home aloneing the house because they were gone for three hours. It didn't get super far. Uh, you know, didn't didn't do a whole ton of stuff, but um, I ended up adding a a layer of fog and mist to the basement. Um, I added some explosive runes around, and um, also had a tripwire or two. Uh, one of them firing just this array of poison arrows. So you know, they go, they get back to the house. Um, oh, as they were heading towards like the the high end of the town, the two guards that they had. Uh, had to talk to you to get through the first time were gone. 
So it's like, okay, what's going on with that? They get to the house. The two guards are inside kind of guarding the doorway. Uh, the vampires, you know, basically trying to to say, hey, you know what? Let me go. And uh, you'll never see me again. You know, d- doing what he can because vampires just want to live. That's what they do. Sure, they're evil, but they just want to live. So while he was trying to, to uh, convince them to let him go and everything, they're like, uh, the paladin's like, I'm going to go. I'm like, okay. So, of course, combat happens. Thank you, legendary actions for a vampire of just being able to, to move as a legendary action. So he just runs upstairs. Um, Paladin hits a tripwire. All these arrows come flying out. Uh, ends up killing one of the summoned animals that the bard had. Um, the the Paladin gets poisoned. So it's a para- uh, paralyzing poison. So he's just out at that point. And uh, they ended, <laughs> the Paladin just took out the guards she's like non-lethally i'm like okay and i mean she just overkilled both of them (laughs) so they were still alive but really hurt and would probably be in traction for a while alive yeah yeah uh, like batman um arkham knight alive that that badly injured um i gotcha i gotcha yeah they do a restoration on the paladin or i mean on the cleric so he's he's up and around they're investigating the house. I made every room locked because I'm a jerk like that. Because, again, they had hours. So they're going to, def- you know, take as much time to do what they need to. Um, they ended up going upstairs and finding that um, there was another tripwire which knocked a bottle on the ground, which caused a stinking cloud. Um, our sorcerer happens to be a storm sorcerer. So uh, he blew the, you know, kind of d- dispersed that and everything. But a, um, what's the thing, you know, the, like a, a castle has that drops, not the drawbridge, but the, the port portcullis. The portcullis? Yeah. So there's a portcullis blocking a doorway in there that they had heard drop when they were downstairs still. The vampire, like, activated it, dropped it. Um, Paladin rolls hugely insanely high on a strength check, picks it up. <laughs> They set it back in place, go in, and then that's where two remaining vampires spawn, which was Radimir and then his younger brother, Percy, as well as the servants of the house, who are all charmed, of course. So uh, the, the main vampire, nowhere to be seen. So at this point in my mind, I said, uh, okay, he missed it. He went down the fireplace, down into the basement, and is staying in mist form down there. So they ended up attacking, uh, killing the two vampire spawn. Um severely injuring the common folk who were just you know servants there um but you know they're still alive just like the guards were and then they ended up searching the whole house um finding an explosive rune or runes that were blocking the way to the basement which paladin set one of those off and wait was it the paladin someone set one of those off it might have been the bard yeah the bard set one off um massive damage that way which is great they get downstairs through some clever use of like detect magic i'm like okay yeah you see the vampire like the section of mist is kind of glowy as you're looking daylight gets cast forces him out of his mist form and first round goes he's making his way out of the room out of the daylight as best he can paladin's turn beginning around two she crits with a divine smite for 85 points of damage 
The vampire had 80 points left. Oh, well. <laughs> Second round. Yeah. And I'm like, for that big of a hit, and I mean, he's in daylight, so nothing's really going to, like, he can't do anything at this point. So I'm like, okay. You vaporize him with that holy energy, and it was great. I was so happy about that. Um, But the biggest thing that happened, which I totally forgot about until just now for some reason is the session before at the very end our cleric the cleric of the light went ahead and used divine intervention and succeeded he's level 11 he rolled a seven so wow. basically he said um or the, what he asked for help was um could you destroy the vampire's resting spot so yeah this the stone sarcophagus was just completely obliterated. All the other coffins that were in there were destroyed as well. So when they finished, you know, just searching the whole house and everything, they found that, oh my gosh, this divine intervention was nice. It worked really well. That vampire, even if they hadn't vaporized him, had nowhere else to go. Basically, they were hunkering down, waiting for nightfall before they left. So they stopped it from happening. And I, like, I even had a whole fallback of if they wait until night, they're probably going to send some spawn in to try to kill the adventurers. But the main vampire dude was going to leave. That didn't so happen. Super prepared. Yeah. 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 It, it like they did such a great job planning for this. Got super lucky with the divine intervention. I had plans going on about what was going to happen. And in fact, something that was really weird about the house as they'd gone through and searched the whole thing. There's nothing of value. There's no important notes and nothing like that. Almost as if someone had gotten rid of all of that before they arrived. So who knows what's going on with that? But I got to say, it was a lot of fun. They made their way through the house. I mean, it was it, it, it's a three story house. It wasn't a dungeon, but it was totally a dungeon and it worked out really well. And we all had an entire blast with that. So yeah, I think I think that's good. Like. Not all dungeons have to be dungeons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I had a whole bunch of, I mean, I've showed you the maps, um, mm-hmm. had a whole bunch of different rooms and stuff. And, and I mean, with every door being locked again, cause I'm a jerk, um, it, it took some time. They had some surprises in there. And, uh, then, you know, once they're done, we, I kind of capped it off with, uh, you know, little narration of stuff that happened, asked them what they wanted to do and told them that, uh, it's going to be, you, you get a week off. You know, no, nothing's happened for a week. So they all ended up reading their uh, their tomes and books of, uh, you know, super duper. Hey, I have a buff and a stat. So that's all all good and done. I've now got a cleric with a 22 wisdom, which is great. Ooh. Yeah, everybody, everybody has either a 22 or a 20 on, on their, their main stat right now, which is pretty great. I'm excited. Which one, what that. level are you at now? 11. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're getting you're getting up there. Exactly. So I figure, you know, one more point, not going to hurt too much. And I mean, they're really at the point where they're pretty powerful, like for that level. So I'm like, yeah, we're doing this. So, yeah, um, they've got all that going into the next uh, bit of narrative, which uh, is hopefully going to be a lost uh, Dwarven city. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, but talk about a memorable session for divine intervention. Like <laughs> yeah. you never, 
You never forget the divine interventions. Yeah, it it was pretty fantastic. In fact, I I love what I did with the map on that because I went back in and re-edited everything um, after, you know, they they left because, again, I'm doing stuff. I have a whole row of crossbows uh, set behind a door in in, in a wall. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be great. Threw runes in there. And then where the the sarcophagus and then the the, um, coffins were, just it's decimated it's destroyed it looks amazing i i love incarnate it is so good it's great. so good so yeah i'm uh i'm looking forward to next session and uh seeing what's gonna happen with that and oh i also need to recalculate and find out when this trade summit's happening uh because now that another week's gone by i think we're at maybe two or three weeks out from that that summit so yeah and that's kind of one of your next big things yep Yep. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as you know, there's uh, there, there's three things on the horizon that we've talked about at least. So <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, I'm very excited for your players. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, you wrapped up two campaigns yep. for, the, for the year. Wrapped up, wrapped up two campaigns for the year. My my first one uh, finished basically going through the outpost. Um. They ended up having a just because of the way they de- did things, they did end up triggering kind of like a, a, a little boss battle almost uh, at the end. Found out a few things, uh, found out the basically the large outpost shield, the the dome of rock and ice was turns out the perfect shape of a shield that went over the entire outpost. Huh. Uh and just wasn't activated. And so uh, to stop a, a cave-in or collapse afterwards, they they were able to turn it on. So that was kind of cool. Well, um, they had they had some fights fight with uh, the last few working mechs in the in the place. One of the mechs had reverse gravity, Ooh. which was super cool. So there was a lot of really interesting stuff that happened with with that fight. Now, that's was kind of what the, I was referring to. Was the shield closed to, when the reverse gravity happened? I mean, it wouldn't matter because the there's still ceiling oh, okay. of rock and ice. It just ended up toward the end, keeping that from all collapsing inward. Oh, very cool. Um, but that's that's kind of what I was alluding to. And I was like, it's really hard to run three di- three dimensions on a 2D, 2D battle map, but yep. we made it work and it actually ended up turning out to be one of the uh, a really, really memorable, fun fight as people were kind of floating upward and then dropping down. <laughs> um, so that was that was good. Our our wizard used banish for the first time Ooh. and banish one of the one of the mechs has like a the top half of it was like a cage um, and it anyone who damaged it while someone was in there redirected half the damage to the person trapped in the cage. And so the wizard ended up banishing it while they were trapped inside, which was super cool. Uh, So yeah, the the whole thing, the whole thing was, was awesome. They were able to call back the, uh, the, the wizards who were kind of studying it, that they were supposed to kind of clean it out for. And that's when the, uh, one of my, the player who does the fighter revealed basically they we kind of worked it out a little bit beforehand um they asked him to stay on as their head of security oh cool uh for the basically 
archaeology type investigation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, he agreed. There was some really good uh, RP as people said their buys and whatnot. And they ended up getting a teleportation circle to Erangel. So I was able to get them to, which was the, the city. Uh, if uh, those who have been listening for a while, it was the city that got basically flattened in the first campaign I did. Uh, there's actually some very interesting ties. Uh, a few of the party members have to the city. So that's, that's going to be really interesting to play around with. And that's where their reward is waiting. And um, since they are a mercenary band, that's where their uh, replacement uh, is at that they are going to meet. Gotcha. Will be the the new character for uh, my other player. So that should be fun. Basically, we ended that session with them stepping into the into the teleportation circle and everything going white. So neat. I'm excited excited for that one. Uh, and <laughs> my other one was uh, took some weird turns. Um, <laughs> They basically have been continuing to head towards this this town that they were hoping they could catch a ship on and get off the this jungle continent, essentially. Uh, they had to go through a swamp first, though. Um, one of the players fell into a, a sinkhole, so that was fun. Oh, no. As uh, the rest of the party had to rescue them from the sinkhole. Uh, and then they found ruins of an old civilization that had gotten wiped out by this people group that inhabits the sky that the Cobran, which are the um, kind of snake people in my, in my world call skywalkers. And because my wizard has uh, comprehend languages, they get so much more than they would <laughs> normally get for a group that does not. Uh, and they basically found out that uh, this other group wiped out this civilization essentially with a plague. Um, come to find out that the plague was still around in the form of these like fungi, moss type creatures that still existed in the swamp uh, and they were attacked by them. Um, and so they were able to kind of fight their way out and run, but not before the wizard was bitten on the hand by like a dog-like creature of this stuff. Um, there were two constitution saving throws that needed to be made. DC was only 12. The wizard failed both of them. Oh no. And so they were able to kind of get away but sh just shortly after they get away the wizard looks at his hand and the fungus is just spreading like encompassing encompassing his hand completely from the wounds they tried cure wounds didn't work um and at this point everyone's starting to get nervous the tension is r ramping up and i'm just like uh here and just a very short bit it's going to spread beyond his hand and the wizard's just like take it off Take it <laughs> and so he's he's got like a knife and he's in one of my the the artificer has a little bit of like a, a medical background he's just like no no let me let me try and try and take it off and so he rolls not too bad and 
the others hold him down uh, and they cut the wizard's hand off. Oh, man. Before the disease can spread any further. Oh, wow. And then heal him and it heals over into a nub. Yeah. The wizard is missing one of his hands now. Okay. Okay. I like this. Now, question. Does the wizard know Mage Hand? Doesn't. Oh, no. But there's an artificer in the party, so I'm hoping fun shenanigans will eventually ensue uh, for that. But temporarily, he actually now has disadvantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. Oh, yeah. Because he's missing a hand. Uh, But uh, he messaged me afterwards. He was just like, that was so dope. And I was just like, (laughs) ah, no. Because what were the odds? Like when I when I came up with that, that sort of mechanic, I'm just like, it's there. But there's an incredibly low chance of failing two DC 12 con saves in a row. That's oh, that's pretty fantastic, though. I that's but it led to some great super cool moments like the whole the whole RP after the fight of them dealing with this was so good and everyone was freaking out and it was just completely wonderful um so they they took care of that they they got to the town there were a lot of warning signs all over the place of they'd been kind of warned they're not they don't like outsiders people outside the town and stuff as they near it they see one of these airships land Okay. And the people from it walk into the town. Uh, so they basically are like, okay, we should go up and try and be like, we got shipwrecked, uh, let us in so we can get a, a boat out. So they get all diplomatic and kind of walk out. And the people, the guards on the top of the town immediately just open fire on them. Oh, and so, like, they come to find out, no, these people don't like anybody else, it seems. Uh, so they ended up running and commandeering the airship that was parked uh, because there was not supposed to be anyone on the other side of the wall. They didn't have any guards because they didn't need them. Yeah. Because no one is supposed to be there. <laughs> and so the artificer ends up rolling very high, is able to get the thing kind of in the air and pointed upwards, but they did it so loudly that there is going to be chase <clears throat> at this point. They did not, they did not go and steal this quietly or anything. Um, so basically we ended the session with uh, the poor monk just kind of huddled in the corner, nursing a wound. The artificer, just scrambling like crazy, trying to figure out how to work this thing. The, the Druid just kind of like not knowing what to do. And the wizard walking down the little staircase in the cabin and finding cages, one with a spindly, uh, like kind of, uh, almost beat down looking young man and a small girl, in a cage. Oh, and that's man. where we ended off. 
And so we're going to pick up that one there, basically in the middle of a chase sequence. That's great. <laughs> so that, yeah, the whole the whole thing went. So different than it, it could have gone. Oh, yeah. Like the, the absolute minuscule chance of of this disease fully taking taking root. And it happened. And yeah, this is this is the first time in a campaign I've actually had a like a player character lose a limb. Basically, that's pretty great. So that was super interesting how that how that went down. So uh, but it it's going to add a lot to the story and it, it changes a lot of things. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. Yeah, especially when a bionic hand gets put in. I am very excited. I was just like, <laughs> man, you just lucked out this campaign because even though you don't have mage hand, you got an artificer. So I'm sure maybe you can fashion something after <laughs> after a little while. Oh, that's going to be cool. Very cool. Yeah. It was very cool. Sounds like you had some good sessions. Did. So we're going to get back, get back together in the new year and uh, start the new arc for the one. And uh <laughs> Drop in right in the middle of the action for the other. Looking forward to hearing about them. Yep. Well, I think that's it for us. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. That is that is our final show for the year. Uh, and it's it's wild. We've been doing this now for almost two and a half years mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and it has been super fun. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, sticking with us and commenting and your questions uh, and all that stuff. We absolutely love to hear it. Um, ben, of course, we'll let you know where we can be reached. If you have um, stuff you want to know or topics you want us to cover. Uh, so I will turn that over to you, Ben. All right. Well, Hey, we love hearing about your stories and campaigns uh, as well as, uh, you know, any questions that you have, uh, We'd love to answer them. So uh, for long form communication, go ahead and send us an email to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Again, we love hearing from you. Uh, If you have something that can be parsed down to about, uh, I don't know, about 280 characters or so, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, The show's Twitter is at dndiscussions. Uh, If you're looking specifically for Ryan, you can find him at tbkzord. Uh, I am at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, again, it's a great place to find us. Um, I will say that if uh, you're looking for me and it's during the the middle of the day and I'm on Twitter, um, I might not respond because I get busy. Stupid work. If I didn't have to have a job, life would be so much more fun and we'd probably do more shows. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Anyways, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, wow, these guys uh, seem to know what they're talking about with D&D or they know nothing at all. Why do they think that they could have a show? Well, guess what? You can at least hear us play as well on plus five to hit. Uh, Right now we're going through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and by howdy, it is fun. We are having a blast with that. Uh, Start a new adventure uh, or new arc or whatever the heck you want to call it. uh, Last session. Uh, which you should be hearing in the next week or so. And, uh, you know, we'll pick back up uh, after New Year on that as well. So make sure to check that out. Uh, this show, though, DN Discussions, if you are listening to this for the first time and you're like, this is pretty great, want to hear some more. Because as Ryan said, uh, this is episode 59. There's 58 other ones. You can check it out on dndiscussions.com as well as on your podcast player of choice. Because believe it or not, where you're listening right now, all the other episodes are also available. So check it out. Awesome. 
I think that covers everything. Well, again, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, enjoy the holidays. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we will see you shortly uh, for the first episode in January. Yep. Until then, everybody, happy holidays and be good to each other. Yeah, be good to each other. Catch you later.